This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And now we are live. All right. Okay, so welcome everyone. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Tonight we are learning Le'ilu Nishmat Rav Avram Ben Rav Chaim Yehuda and Yechezka Ben Rav Avram. So, okay. A little bit of a... I don't even know how to begin this 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 uh, uh, class. I have to give you a little bit of a background, um, but you're you're definitely in for a treat. Like wh- whoever came, whoever's listening, going to be listening to this, uh, uh, you know, on, on the recording later. It, it's it's with Hashem's help. This is going to be a very very beautiful, uh, you know, uh, a treat. And when I say like. I guess what talks to me, it might not talk to everybody, but what talks to me is where you have like, where, where the picture so suddenly like comes whole and like you see where everything like plugs in. I feel that is such a, uh, a beautiful uh, thing. So that's really what one of the things that, uh, you know, the, the focus of, of tonight is where, how you're going to see how everything comes, uh, into like one big beautiful picture. So the, one of the things when I when I started Pirkei Avos, one of the things that I wanted to do, um, I didn't mention this yet, but as part of the series, I would like to when I speak about a certain rav or uh, rabbi, meaning of the Pirkei Avos. So Pirkei Avos is is sayings from our sages, and when I speak about a particular sage, I would like to give the background of the sage, so you get a little bit of knowing who that person was, who's that, who that rabbi was, and then you could uh, relate a little better to what he's about to say. Whenever you know the background of something, you know you can understand something a lot clearer, a lot better, because you know where the person uh, is uh, is coming from. So we're not going to do it to everyone, but I want to start off with it this week. And what we're going to start off is really Rabbi Lazar Ben Azariah, which you know we're in the first Mishnah Perkei which you would think that there's this is not really associated with him, but soon you'll see why it is associated with him. So keep focus. Keep uh, you don't have to be that. It's not such a. It's a lot of deep ideas, but it's not something you have to. You're going to have a hard time uh, following as long as you pay close, somewhat close of attention. So. The first mission in Perkeavos, um, uh, which is, you know, like when you think about it, this is the seventh class that we've given. So we've been speaking about seven hours on one Mishnah on Perkei Elvis, just to show you how much depth the Torah has. And there is so much more to speak about it, but hopefully this will be the last uh, class on this on this first Mishnah. But now, the Mishnah in Perkei Elvis tells us um, that the Anche Knesset Agdola, they told us uh, three things, right? So they said three things have a misunim, but then you have to be deliberate in your judgment. We spoke about this previously. I'm skipping one, which is the one that we're speaking about today. You have to make a fence around the Torah. And then we're, what we're speaking about today, make many students. So we're going to soon see what does this have to do with reincarnation? What does this have to do with Rebbe Lezer Ben Azariah? We'll soon plug everything in. But first, let's let's touch a little bit upon the Himidu Tamidim Harbe. The Mishnah tells us that we have to, we should make many, many students. So, you know, Rabbi Yaakov Hillel asks, how many students? Like, what, what does that mean that we're supposed to make? So, so how many students should we be making? Um, uh, you know, we don't have, meaning how many rabbis do we need to produce? Like, why do we have to have so many? We don't judge capital cases where you, you need, you know, 70 rabbis. We don't have, you know, the, the this court need of all these rabbis, which you might think. So this attitude, says Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, is very, very much misinformed and incorrect. The Mishnah tells us you have to make 
all you have to make many many students because you never know and this is the key point keep this point in mind you never know you never know which student is going to come out to be the next big rabbi or when which student is going to be able to 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 make a huge change in in the world so we need all of our scholars because we don't know which special individuals will become our next torah leaders and unfortunately many potential Torah leaders, they stop learning, they stop pursuing this because maybe it's for a lack of money, a lack of funds, uh, or they have to support their families. So the this is another factor what the Mishnah is telling us, that you should make many, many, many students, meaning that you, each and every single one of us, should support the rabbis, not only emotionally, not only intellectually, but also financially, So not only the rabbis, also the students, so that they can continue studying and can become rabbis. Uh, we don't realize, many people, unfortunately, they come to the, the, the realization or the understanding where they feel like, what is the point? And in Israel, this is a huge thing, where what's the point of all these people sitting and learning Torah? They're depleting the nation's resources. Rather, let them go to work and we'll be able to, uh, you know, get, have a lot more that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that the people that are learning are really supporting the people that are, uh, you know, that, that are that are not learning or that are working. There is a lot of merit that ha- that comes when you support Torah, when you, uh, you help someone go and continue in their studies. So, the... Mishnah tells us, make many, many students that's not only you should, because you might not be a teacher, but not only that you should go and, and if you are a teacher, make students, but if you're not a teacher, you should be able to support many, many students. So that's just a small introduction, and you'll soon see why we started off this way. But the really, the, the bulk of really what I want to get into is something that Bartanura says. The Bartanura says, on this Mishnah, a commentary on this Mishnah. It says, La'afuki mi Rabban Gamliel. To exclude from Rabbi Gamliel. What did Rabbi Gamliel? Says the Amar Rabbi Gamliel. This is based off a, a, a Gemara and Brachas, Daf Chafches, which really Chafzayin Amabez, and Chafches Amar Aleph, which we'll soon say the whole story. But the, the, what the Bartanur brings down is, Kol Talmud, any student, She'ein Toichai Kevayra, that his inside is not like his outside, meaning that his inside, his inside beliefs, his core understanding is not like like his outside of what he presents himself, Ali Rabbi Gamil said that if your inside is not your outside, do me a favor, don't come to, to learn. You know, we're we're only looking for the for the for the pure that their inside are just like their outside. The Mishnah is telling us this is not like what Rabbi Gamil says, meaning that. That, that the Mishnah is telling us that any Talmud that comes, any student that comes, you don't have to look into them. Just welcome everybody in, inside over here. So that is just an introduction. Now we're going to get into like story, into a story, into a story, into reincarnation, into reincarnation, incarnation. So now bear with me. This is, we're going to have to start off based off a of Gemara in Brachas. This is a Gemara that I definitely spoke about before. I don't know if it was on camera, but this is one of the, like, I can't say the most famous Gemaras, but it's a very, very famous Gemara, famous story. The Mishnah says, Tefilas Ha'erev ain't like Hefa. The Mishnah in uh, Brachas tells us that, that, that Ma'erev doesn't have a fixed time. Now, there's a, there's a question that Gemara asks, what does that mean it doesn't have a fixed time? Is that mean that it's an optional thing, you know, to, to do Ma'ariv? Is it, uh, you know, obligatory? It's it's a requirement? So there's actually a machlokus. Rabban Gamliel says that you're a you're obligated to do Ma'ariv. Rabbi Yeshua says that it's optional. 
Now, Tosas goes right away and says, by the way, don't think that this is completely up to the person. When, you, when Rabbi Shul says optional, meaning it's completely up to the person. Do I want to daven marif or do I not want to daven marif? But rather, what it's in reference to is that if there is another mitzvah that is going to, you know, conflict, which one should you do? And that's what it's in reference to obligatory or, uh, you know, optional. So now that is the basis. Now the Mish, now the Gemara goes and tells a story. And the story goes as follows. It's Maisa. It's a story, but Talmud Echad. The Gemara doesn't start off with who the story, who this, who this student was, but it's about a certain student that came and asked Rabbi Yeshua, what about, what's the story with Maharif? Is it obligatory? Or is it optional? Now, what we just said is Rabbi Yeshua said, and by the way, you have to you have to keep in mind a few names tonight. Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Gamil are two of them. So Rabbi Yeshua goes and says it's optional, and this is the student went over to Rabbi Yeshua and says, "Is Ma'ariv optional or obligatory?" And, and Rabbi Yeshua, and according to his opinion, he said it's optional. Then the student does something which is questionable. Why would he do such a thing? He asks a question to one rabbi, then he goes to another rabbi. Rabbi Gamliel, and he says, hey, I have a question. Is Myriv obligatory or is it voluntary? And Rabbi Gamliel, he holds that Myriv is obligatory. So now this student did something that you really, as a general population, shouldn't do. Ask the same, ask the same question to two different rabbis. But this student did. And now this student did something double what you shouldn't generally not do, and we'll soon see why the student did this way. This student got one answer from one rabbi, another answer from another rabbi, and by the second rabbi, he said, what is it? Is it obligatory or is it voluntary? He said, it's obligatory. He said, oh yeah? Well, the other rabbi, he told me that the, um, that Myriv, that the, the, the evening prayer is voluntary. And the other rabbi said, is that so? Okay. So let us wait and see what happens when the other, um, the other Torah scholars come into the base matters. So he waited until all the people came into, into the base matters, into the, into the yeshiva. And then this rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, which we'll soon see was the Nasi, he goes and he says that, he, he tells this, this, this student, which we still is unnamed, ask your question again. And the student goes and poses this, this question, is Myriv, is, is the evening prayer, is it obligatory or is it optional? And the Rabbi Gamaliel answered, it's obligatory. And then Rabbi Gamaliel looked around and he said, does anybody disagree with what I just said? And he's looking at, you know, Rabbi Yeshua. And Rabbi Yeshua, who disagrees with him, said, no, no, yeah, no one, no one disagrees with you. And then Rabbi Gamil says, well, wait a minute. Didn't this student came and asked me the question? And he said, put him on the spot. He said, wait a minute. You said that it's voluntary. So Rabbi Yeshua, he made Rabbi Yeshua stand up. And Rabbi Yeshua stands up. And, he, and Rabbi Yeshua says, you know, if, the person that's standing over here wouldn't be over here, wouldn't be alive. Then I could go and argue and say, no, I didn't say that. But the person is, is standing right over here. The person is alive. How am I going to say, how am I going to argue with this person? This person asked me and I said really that it's voluntary. So he said, yes, you know, it, it, I, I, it, it was me. I was the one that, that said that it was voluntary. Rabbi Gamliel then continued on the, uh, on the lesson. Rabbi Gamil was giving the lesson. Rabbi Gamil was the Nasi. And Rabbi Yeshua had, was remaining standing, meaning the rabbi told him to stand up. He stood up, but the rabbi never told him to sit back down. So now all the students are sitting down. Rabbi Yeshua is standing up and Rabbi Gamil, the Nasi is going and he's giving the, the lesson. Now, 
we have to give a little bit of background. Who's Rabbi Gamliel? Who's Rabbi Yeshua? So Rabbi Gamliel was the Nasi. The Nasi was like the prince. He was like the leader of the Jewish uh, nation at this uh, at this time. This time was um, after the destruction of the second Bet Hamikdash. This is after the destruction of the temple, and Rabbi Gamliel was a descendant of King David. Now, being that it was after the destruction of the temple, Rabbi, like literally right after, so Rabbi Gamliel felt that the way to lead a nation, as he was the leader, is to do it in a very strict way. You have to preserve the unity, you have to preserve, you know, the, the, the Mesorah, and he did it in a very, very strict way, and that's why you'll soon see the way that he handled certain scenarios and certain situations. So, now, going back to our story, Rabbi Yeshua is standing up, He's sitting and listening to the lecture. Rabbi Gamliel is giving the lecture and he's the prince, he's the Nasi. Now the people around them are, are, they're, they're telling there was an intergument called, there was an interpreter called Chutzpah Samatergament. He was the one who would basically tell over the class that Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Gamliel was giving. And they stopped him. And they said, how much longer is Rabbi Gamliel going to go and distress Rabbi Yehoshua? Because this is not the first time that he caused them distress. What happened? On last Rosh Hashanah, there was witnesses that testified that they saw the moon on the 30th of the month. And the fact that ended up happening, the next night, the 31st, the moon was still not visible. Now, the way that it's supposed to be is that the moon gets more and more visible as you go into the month. But Rabbi Gamliel accepted their testimony. He said these witnesses saw it. He checked them out. And he he uh, he said that that it's fine. The way that he used to work, how did we used to know them? There was no calendar. The way that we used to know when the month started is we would have to see. We have to wait until two witnesses came and say they saw the beginning of the moon. The begin the moon starts off very small, right, and then it gets big, and then it, it, then it weans again. So when you start seeing the moon, that's when the witness testify. They say, "I saw it over here and here." That the judges go and they and they test them to make sure they're they're accurate on what they're saying, and that's when the month begins. So now over here we have an interesting scenario. Witnesses came in and said we saw the moon, the, the, the moon tonight. It was the 30th. But the problem was the next night, the moon was still not visible. And it wasn't like it was a cloudy. It was a not, not a cloudy and it was still not visible. So Rabbi Gamliel still, still went and he said, I agree with their testimony. And that's when the, the, the first of the month begins. Rabbi, Rabbi, it was actually Rabdosa. Rabdosa went and said it doesn't make any sense. If the moon is not visible the next night, it must be that they were mistaken or they were false witnesses. And he gave an example. He says, imagine that you tell, you have somebody that says that they gave birth. A woman that said that they gave birth. And the next day they look extremely pregnant. That must be that they didn't give birth the previous day because they're obviously very, very pregnant. So the, the Gemara goes on and says that Rabbi Gamliel agreed that their testimony was valid and the month began. Rabbi Yeshua agreed with Rabdosa who said the month didn't begin yet. So now, when Rabbi Gamliel hears that Rabbi Yeshua doesn't agree with his, you know, decision, he calls Rabbi Yeshua and he says, you know, it's coming up Yom Kippur. And I decided when the month, well, the Bezdin, I, part of the Bezdin decided when the month begins. You decided a different day based on your calculation, but so Yom Kippur, according to my calculation, is going to be on day X. Yom Kippur, according to your calculation, is going to be on day Y. Said Rabbi Gamliel goes to Rabbi Yeshua and he said, on your day, when you think it's Yom Kippur, I want you to come to me with your walking stick 
and your wallet, meaning that on Yom Kippur is a Shabbat. It's like it's like the halachas of Shabbos. You're not allowed to carry, and you're definitely not allowed to carry your wallet. That's muksa. So Rabbi Gamliel is telling Rabbi Yeshua, he's trying to prove a point. They said that it's the day that I decided, that my bezin decided when Yom Kippur is, when the month begins, because that's when Yom Kippur will eventually fall out. That's the day that's Yom Kippur. Your day is not valid, and to show that you're gonna, you know, subdue to the, you know, to the bezin, you're gonna walk to me. On Yom Kippur, with your wallet and your staff. And Rabbi Yishol was very distressed because according to him, the day that he was required to walk was a day that, according to him, was Yom Kippur. And Rabbi Kiva saw him, and Rabbi Kiva said, why are you being distressed? We know the Torah, and he gave a proof of a Pasuk in the Torah, that the Torah says straight out, that if the Bezdin decided that the new month begins over here, that's what we start counting. And that's when, if Yom Kippur, any of the holidays, they fall out based on the new month, right? Only Shabbos falls out based on the days of the week. Everything else, all the Yom Tovim, they fall out based on what the Bezdin decided the new month begins. And says Rabbi Akiva, that it doesn't matter whether it's right or it's right. Whenever Bezdin decided, that's Minashamayim, when they decide, that's when the month begins. So Rabbi Akiva is saying, don't be distressed. Bezdin decided that this is the day the month begins, and what you're when you're coming in, even though you believe that it's Yom Kippur, the reality is it's not Yom Kippur. So Rabbi Yeshua did. He went and he came to Rabbi Gamliel in his walking stick and his wallet on what he, you know, calculated to be uh, Yom Kippur. When Rabbi Gamliel saw him, he stood up, he gave him a kiss on his forehead, and he says, "Come in peace, my Rebbe and my student." He called him. He says, "My Rebbe in wisdom," because Rabbi Yeshua was a very. We'll soon see how high of a level that he was, and my student that you accepted my words. Now, with this background of information, we can understand why Rabbi Gamliel was so strict. This is the aftermath of the second of the destruction of the second temple, and Rabbi Gamliel, in his mind, said, "This is the way that we have to continue if we want to persevere, if we want to be able to be, to, to sustain our uh, uh, our level." So now, going back to our original story, so there's a story in a story, going back to our original story, the people were watching how Rabbi Gamliel was giving a lesson, and Rabbi Yeshua was still standing, and said this is the second time already that he caused them this distress. The first time was by Rosh Hashanah, and by Yom Kippur, I'm sorry, and now the second time is over here in, um, you know, you know, in this scenario. So they decided that this is not the way to act, and they're going to remove Rabbi Gamliel from being the leader of the generation. But then they started asking, who are we going to put in the place of Rabbi Gamliel? We can't put Rabbi Yeshua because he's involved in this situation. He's involved in the story. That's not nice. You know, you have two people involved in the story, so you knock one down, you bring the other person up. That's not nice. So we can't put Rabbi Yeshua in the story. And by the way, that's to sh- just to show you how high of a level Rabbi Yeshua was. Because he was an option of being the, the, ne- the next leader of the generation. The Nazi. Uh, in fact, he was the of Bezdin, uh, you know, during that time. And then they went and they said, who's the next candidate? Maybe we should put Rabbi Akiva. You know, we gave a whole series on Rabbi Akiva, how great that he was, Rabbi Akiva. But then they decided, no, we can't do Rabbi Akiva. Why not? Because Rabbi Akiva comes from a descendants of converts. His father, his, 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 his ancestors were converts. And what's the problem if they were converts? We know that there's no problem with converts. Converts are very welcome in the Jewish nation. But what converts are missing is ancestral merit. Schus avais. And what they were fearful, the people, that Rabbi Gamliel 
would be demoted from his position. So maybe he would bring punishment on the next person that comes up to that position. So if a person has ancestral merit, he has chus avos, that person will be protected. But since Rabbi Akiva comes from the descendants of converts, he is not going to be protected. And hence, maybe we shouldn't put him in, in the next position of the leader of the Jewish nation, the Nasi. So they finalize, who are we going to put? The... The, the, the focal point of our shir, that's going to be Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah. That's who we're going to appoint. Why? Because he has ancestral merit, he has schus avis, he is the tenth descendant from Ezra. He is wise, so if somebody asks him any question, he'll be able to answer it. And he's also very wealthy that if he has any dealings with the Caesar, he'll be able to go and he'll have a stand over there that he comes from money. He comes from, you know, people respect that. So they figured this will be a perfect person to replace Rabbi Gamliel. So they went over to Rabbi Lazar ben Azaya. This is the next person you have to keep in mind. Pretty much these are the main three, you know, themes that we have to keep in mind. Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. Now, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, they went over to him and they said, would you like to become the head of the academy? Would you like to be the head of the leader of the Jewish nation? Would you like to become the Nasi? And he said, I have to, uh, uh, he responded in a way that every every spouse should, should respond. He says, I have to speak to my spouse. I have to speak to my wife. Which just shows you, you have here a person who is wise, wealthy, a descendant, like he has everything going for him, right? Imagine you go to a very successful businessman and the business, and you want to come with some sort of plan. And the businessman said, you know, let me speak to, to my wife. I have to speak to my wife first. That shows humility. What many people would say will be like, I have to speak to my wife. I, I build this business ground up. I'm extremely successful. I have every, you know, lines, reasons and reasons and reasons why I don't have to speak to anybody and I can make my own decisions. But I love the who was wealthy, who was successful, who was a big rabbi, who came from a line of great lineage, he goes and he says, I have to speak to my wife. So he goes, he, I have to speak to my spouse. He goes over to his wife and his wife thinks about it and she says, well, what if they, just like they removed Rabbi Gamliel, maybe they'll bring you to this position and they'll remove you as well if you're, they're not happy with you. So Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah answered, he said a person should use a precious cup of glass if there's something expensive glass that they, if, if it's gonna break tomorrow, let at least use it today. So he said, even if they remove me, you know, at least I'll be able to leave the Jewish nation for, for the day or for, until they remove me. And then she responded, but you don't have any white hair. He was very young. At this point in time, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was 18 years old. He was 18 years old. He says, you don't have any white hair. Who's going to respect you? On that day, a miracle, a nace occurred. And 18 rows of hair grew on his beard. Or on his beard, they turned white. And that is why Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says, I'm like 70 years old right now. He was 18, but he looked as if he was 70 years old. And his wife says, okay, fine. And he goes over to the, you know, to the people and he says, fine, I'll accept the position. He accepts the position. His for, first order of business on that day, there was a doorkeeper in the base madrash that didn't allow people, Rabbi Gamliel had a, had a this is what we started off with. Rabbi Gamliel had a very, very strict policy. If you're inside, it's not like you're outside. Do me a favor. You're not coming into the base madrash. You're not coming into the yeshiva. Rabbi Elizabeth Isaiah had a different policy. He says, no, let everybody in. So there was a doorkeeper. There was a gatekeeper. He says, remove the gatekeeper. Anybody that wants can enter. 
So there's a machlokus on what this, uh, on what happened afterwards and how many benches were needed to add, to be added to the yeshiva. Some say that there was 400 benches were added and some say 700 benches, not chairs, benches were added on that day where the doorkeeper, you know, was, was relieved of his duties and anybody who would want could enter. Meaning that you had hundreds and hundreds of people that decided that now they're able to, that they didn't, they didn't qualify before and now they qualified. Now they went to learn, uh, Torah in the, you know, in the yeshiva. Now, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna skip a little bit bits and parts of this, uh, you know, of this story just because of the, of the time. Rabbi Gamlil, you think he just got demoted, right? So what he would do, move towns, maybe open up another yeshiva, that his yeshiva? No. Rabbi Gamliel, he came that same day that he got them, went right back to the yeshiva, right back to the school and continued learning. And, uh, you know, after the, you know, the day was over, you know, there was a, a scenario that, that took place that's not relevant to the story, so we're gonna skip it about the convert, but, you know, whoever wants can look up in the Gemara over there. Rabbi Gamliel then decided, you know what? Maybe I was wrong with Rabbi Yeshua. I made him stand. I mean, you know, like all the previous, you know, scenarios. Let me go and appease Rabbi Yeshua. Let me go and ask him, you know, for, for apology. So he goes over to Rabbi Yeshua's house. And when he reaches his house, he sees that Rabbi Yeshua's house, his walls are all black. And uh, he goes over to Rabbi Yeshua, the Rabbi Gamliel, and he says, I see that from your walls that you must be a blacksmith. That's what you're, you know, you're dealing with fire, dealing with ash, that, you know, it's all the walls over here. And Rabbi Gamliel goes and he says, you know, I've spoken against you. I ask you, please, can, can you forgive me? And Rabbi Yeshua didn't pay attention to him. He didn't, he didn't respond to him. And then Rabbi Gamliel said, do it out of respect for my father. So then Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua looked at him and he was appeased. He, 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 you know, he, he accepted his apology. So now, Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua, they, they're no longer at, you know, feuding. They, they, they made peace. So now, the question, uh, came back to the people, what are we supposed to do? You know, we only took Rabbi, Yush- Rabbi Gamliel out because he was, you know, causing, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, like, I don't know what the right word is even for it. He was, you know, causing something to Rabbi Yeshua, like something negative. And now they made it up. There's no problem. So what are we supposed to do? But we already gave Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah the position. So what? We can't go and remove him right now. We just gave him the position. And then they were thinking, like, we can't give them one week this this one will be in charge, one week this one will be in charge, because that's going to cause some jealousy. So what? rather what they decided that they're going to do is they're going to reinstate Rabbi Gamliel, because, again, it wasn't personal. It was a belief. And a second that it was over, it says, okay, fine. You know, many times we take things very personally and even if things are resolved, we don't move forward. Over here, the second that it was resolved, people are ready and willing to move forward. Everybody from all sides. So Rabbi Gamliel, they decided, is going to lecture, is going to be the head for three weeks. And Rabbi Laza ben Azariah is going to be the leader for one week, right? They couldn't remove him completely because Malin Bekaidish Vein Maridim. You go, you raise people, you raise things up in Kedusha. You don't bring people down. And he was raised to the level of a leader of the Jewish nation. There's no reason to bring him down. So they decided they're going to give the previous leader, the previous Rabbi Gamliel, he's going to have the, the platform, the, the, the leading capabilities for three weeks. And Rabbi Laza ben Azariah is going to have it for, uh, for one week. This is the story that the Gemara, this is all still a story from the Gemara and Brachas. Then the Gemara ends 
And who was this student? Remember, the story started where there was one student that went to Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Yeshua, and he says, "Oh, is my riv obligatory or voluntary?" And Rabbi Yeshua says, "Voluntary." And they went over, and he went over to Rabbi Gamliel, and Rabbi Gamliel is my rib, and he started saying, "Oh, well, this person said this, and this person who." And now the Gemara ends off. Who was the student? The student was none other than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. That's how the Gemara ends. Let's try to understand this story. What does we first we have to ask why did the story start off with there was a student unnamed character in the story we did only later we found out it was Rabbi Shem Bayechai why if you're telling me at the end tell me at the beginning that's question number one question number two we have to ask why what is Rabbi Shem Bayechai doing if he wanted to ask a question go to the Nazi go to the leader go to Rabbi Gamliel why did he first go to Rabbi Yeshua and if he already went to Rabbi Yeshua, why did now he go over after he got the answer to Rabbi Gamliel? You got the answer already. Just like stay it. Now he went over to another rabbi. Question number three is now he got the answer from the other rabbi. Why is he starting to instigate it? Oh, well, rabbi number one didn't agree with what you said. Why is he starting all this? Why is he instigating all this? So we go to a Gemara and Shabbos. Page 138b to 139a. The Rabbanim entered Karen Viyavnim. This is the aftermath of the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. And they saw the destruction. They, they were nervous. They said that the Torah is going to be forgotten from Kali Yisrael. We have to ask, why is it that they said specifically at Karen Viavne. Because who was the Nasi? Who was the leader at that time? The leader at that time was Rabbi Gamliel. And the rabbis came in and they saw Rabbi Gamliel was very strict. He said, if your inside is not like your aunt's outside, do me a favor. You're not coming into the base medrash. Only the inside. And they, the rabbis said, they said, if we follow, if we continue this during this, according to this path, we, Torah is going to be forgotten because how many people are the inside are just like the outside, a hundred percent, you know, so, so pure like that. Just let everybody learn. But the policy was not like that. When Rabbi Yishimon, Baichai heard this, he says, Chas v'shalom, the Torah is going to be forgotten from Kali Yisrael? Absolutely not. He said, and he quotes a, a Pasuk in Devarim. Rather, it's not going to be like it originally was, but he quotes a Pasuk in Devarim, chapter 31, verse 21, The Torah is not going to be forgotten from its from from the mouth of its offspring. Explains Rabbi, Rabbi Pinchas Friedman that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon Baichai, I'm sorry, sees that Rabbi Gamliel has a closed-door policy. He sees in Ruach HaKodesh, he sees in divine, divi- he sees in divine, in divine, like, revelation. He sees that if Rabbi Eliezer Ben Azariah, if he's going to be instituted inside, over here, he has an open-door policy. Rabbi Gamliel has a closed-door policy. Rabbi Eliezer has a open-door policy. If he puts Rabbi, if Rabbi Eliezer becomes in, then the Torah is not going to be forgotten from Kalal Yisrael. So that is why Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah had to go and be instituted in here to have that open-door policy. So now we have to ask a question. So we have over here, over here, we see that Rabbi Gamliel had one thing. Rabbi Eliezer had another thing. Why get Rabbi Yeshua involved? Rabbi Yeshua is smack in the middle of this. He's the one that was the cause of the whole thing. Why was he involved? So listen to this, and this is where the reincarnation starts taking place. Listen to this. Rabbi Yeshua was a Gilgal. He was a reincarnation of Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol was thrown 
in the fire by Nebuchadnezzar. He was thrown together with Ahav and Sipkiyahu. He was saved. He didn't die in the fire, but his clothing was singed from the fire. And when you know who else was thrown in the fire, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah was all, were also thrown in the fire, but they emerged completely unscathed. They did not; not even their clothing was was you know was singed in the fire. So why was it that Yeshua Kohen Gadol, which was a righteous person, why was he? Why was his clothing singed in the fire? The reason was because he was being punished. Why was he being punished? He didn't protest when his children married. Women that were not appropriate for Kahuna. They were Kohanim. And they married children that were not appropriate for a Kohen. Says the Ramami Pano. Rabbi Gamliel goes over, going back to Arsar, Rabbi Gamliel goes over to Rabbi Yeshua. And he says, I see your walls are blackened. What does that mean that your walls are blackened? Rabbi Yeshua was a Gilgal of Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. His walls were blackened just like the clothing on Yehoshua Kohen Gadol were blackened. Because he is a reincarnation. And not only that, says the Ramari Pano, Rabbi Yeshua Kohen Gadol was a reincarnation of Haran. Who was Haran? Haran was Avram's brother. Haran was also thrown in the fire. Haran, unfortunately, was passed, you know, was killed in the fire. But Haran was in a situation where he was at odds at which way to go. The story took place where Avram Avinu was thrown into the fire by Nimrod. Nimrod uh, was very upset at Avram because Avram was going against all his idols. And uh, Nimrod, he worshipped uh, worshipped the fire. So uh, he went and he threw Avram Avinu into the fire. And when he went over to Avram Avinu's brother, Haran, and he says, what about you? Where do you stand? Where is your, where, where do you take a stand in? Or do you follow your brother or do you follow me that we worship fire? And Haran, he wasn't sure the way that he was going to play it. If Avram comes out unscathed and he comes out safe for the fire, so he's team Avram. If he doesn't, then he's team Nimrod, meaning that he was depending on who is the winner. And what happened was Avram came out and Haran says, yeah, I follow with Avram. And Haran was thrown into the fire also. And unfortunately, he passed away, you know, over there. So that was the story of Haran. Haran came back as Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. And then Yehoshua Kohen Gadol came, came back as Rabbi, uh, as Rabbi Yeshua. So now, why was Rabbi Yeshua part of this whole scenario? Because Rabbi, what was Haran? The whole thing of Haran was that his inside was not like his outside. But yet, in a Gilgal, who did he become? He became he became Yoshua Kohen Gadol, and he became Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua so much so that he was online to become the next leader of the generation. So they're showing Rabbi Gamliel. Says, "Look at Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua who comes from Rabbi Yoshua Kohen Gadol, who comes from Haran, whose inside was not like his outside. And look at what he became. And look at what he became." Rabbi Yochanan and Zakah had five students. Of them, Rabbi Yoshua was one of them. And what did Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakah called Rabbi Yoshua? The, uh, he called Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yoshua a three-ply string. What was the three, what was the three-ply? What was the chutamashulosh? What was the three-ply string? A three-ply string is very strong. It doesn't get ripped. What was the three-ply? Because it was Rabbi Yoshua, Yoshua Kohen Gadol, and the third one is Haran. Says the Shvile Pinchas. 
Why is it that the Gemara only tells us at the end of the story who was the one who instigated this whole scenario? Who was the one that this story was? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Why was it that we started that that we started off not saying who it was, and only we ended off saying who was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? Because when we started off the story, it looks like what is this rabbi doing? What is this student doing? He's causing a problem. Why do you go to one rabbi and say ask a question? Then you go to another rabbi and ask another question. But once we see the end of the story and we see the whole purpose of it was to have an open door policy so the Torah will not be forgotten then all of a sudden we could see the good in what this student did and that's why the Gemara puts the name of who this student was all the way at the very end and that's why the, the and there's something very interesting you go to Rabbi Shem by Yechai's caver this by if you take first of all the letters it spells Yechai Rabbi Shem by Yechai that's his father's name but if you go it's not the today's class but if you go to the Rabbi Shem by Yechai you see this Pasuk is the one that's placed above the uh, above the entrance to the to the grave Rabbi Shem by Yechai so this is what Rabbi Shimon Chai instigated. Why? Because it was an open door policy. Because if we have a closed door policy, then the Torah is going to be forgotten because we have to let everybody in. The proof of it is, is who Rabbi Yeshua, because Rabbi Yeshua came from Rabbi Yeshua Kangadol, who came from Haran, who was his inside, was not like his outside, and look at what he became. So now we have a little bit of a background. Now let's go delve deeper into Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. So before we get into Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah and who he was a reincarnation of, we have to give a little bit of a background. The uh, there is something there's a mitzvah called Hakel. Every seventh year, in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, time when we had Yerushalayim, there was something called the Shemitah year. What happened during Shemitah? Shemitah, the entire year, the nation's economy came to a standstill. All the farmers, all the people that work in the field, they abandoned their fields, and they all went to the yeshiva to learn. They all went to the study houses to learn. For a full year, they focus on their spiritual growth, and they don't focus on their physical need. They drop their work, and they on a sabbatical, they're going, and they're sitting, and they're learning for an entire year. At the end of that of that seventh year, meaning at the beginning of the eighth year, sixteen days into that, actually the the the, the eighth year, it's the second day of Sukkot, and all gather into the base of Mikdash, into the the courtyard of the base of Mikdash for a dose of inspiration. And this event is known as Hakel. Hakel is the only event that required the attendance of every single Jew, men, women, and children. The entire nation gathered. The king had a special, you know, platform constructed in the temple's courtyard, in the base of English courtyard, and he's handed a Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu himself wrote. The king recites a blessing, and then he reads aloud so- several different parts of the of the uh, of the sefer in Devarim, and then he concludes with uh, you know several more uh, blessings. And this is all based off a of pasuk in Devarim, chapter thirty-one, verse twelve. Where the Pasuk of Torah tells us, Hakel Esa'am, go and gather, assemble all the, all the people. Hanashim, the men, Vanashim, and the women, Vahataf, and the children. Look at Rashi over there. The men, they're there, why? Because they are there to learn the Torah words. The women, they're there to listen, also to learn the Torah words. Why are the children? Rashi brings down a Gemara in Chagiga, page 3a, Gimel and Aleph, that says, gives a reward to those who bring them along. That's why we bring the children. Let's give a little bit of a background on what's going on over here. There's a Gemara in Chagiga. And the story go the Gemara brings down that there was two rabbis, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka and Rabbi Elazar ben Chisnam. And they went to go and learn by a rabbi, their rabbi, Rabbi Yehoshua, in, in Pekin. And Rabbi Yehoshua said to them, 
what did you learn today in the base matters? He wasn't, you know, present over there. He says, what did you learn today over there? So the student says, Rabbi, we came to learn with you. He says, no. He says, still, you came and you, he said, whose week was it? Because remember, we said there was, this was during the time of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah and Rabbi Gamliel. Whose week was it? So I said it was Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah's week of, of giving, of being the leader, of, of teaching the, the, you know, the, the yeshiva. So, he said, so what did Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah say? So he, he, they, they went and he said, he was teaching us on this portion on Hakel. What did they teach us? So the students tell the rabbi, he said, he said, why, you know, the men, they come to learn. The women, they come to hear. Why do the children come? To give reward, reward to those who bring them. And when the rabbi heard this, he was, wow. He said, you had this piece of wisdom in your hands and you tried to conceal it from me. It was a mind-blowing thing. And the question is, what, what's going on over here? Why was this a, why is this such a big chiddush? Why is this such a novel idea? Says the Meshach Achmam. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah used to learn a certain Pasuk and he used to burst into tears. Going back to our, you know, the theme, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, he used to burst into tears. What was, what, what, what was a Pasuk that he, let me give you a little bit of a background in this. So the, the, the background of the story of the Pasuk where Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah would burst into tears is regarding Shalom Alech. Shalom Alech was in a point in, 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 you know, in his life that he was in a desperate situation. He was surrounded by his enemies, the Plishtim. He failed to kill out Amalek. He loses his Ruach HaKodesh, his divine inspiration. He needs to go and get advice from the Urim Vetumim, but there's no answer. He runs to the prophets, there's no prophecy. He's in a desperate situation. He doesn't know what to do. So he does something out of desperation. Back then, there was black magic. And while it's not allowed, you know, doing to, due to his desperate, you know, situation, he decided that this is what he needs to do. He went and he found a witch. And he wanted to this witch to go and bring Shmuel Hanavi back up from the dead because he didn't know what to do. And he was stuck. He didn't have his prophecy. He didn't have prophets. He didn't have the earth. He didn't have any, he didn't know which way to go. So he calls up a huge rabbi for the previous generation. He calls up Shmuel Hanavi, a prophet. And he says, do me a favor. I wanted to tell him, tell me what to do. What happened over here? Shmuel is in the afterlife. He's in the next world. And all of a sudden he gets summoned and he gets very, very nervous. He runs, he gets very frightened, he says, why you call me? He thought he's getting maybe rejudged on, you know, things that he did in his life. So he runs to Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron. He runs to them. This Pasuk, when Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah read this Pasuk, this is where he cried. So now, explains the Meshachachma, what's going on over here. First of all, before we get to Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah, why is Shmuel Anavi nervous for getting rejudged? He passed away, he's in the next world already. He got his judgment already. Now, you know, he's getting called up. Shalom Melech needs him. He needs to ask him a question. So he's getting, he's getting called up from the dead to, to, you know, to ask a question. And he's so nervous that he's getting rejudged that he calls Moshe Aaron. Number one, why is he nervous? He got judged already. Number two, why is he calling Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron? And what, what, what Shaykh said that? What, how are they going to help him? So we know that every Rosh Hashanah, there is the book of living and the book of dead that are open before Akadish Baruch Hu. Now we know the book of living is are, are, is open for you know before Akadish Baruch Hu because we get judged on what we did that past year. How many good things that we did? How many bad things that we did? How many you know uh, help? How many did we help other people do good things? How many did we help other people bad? But the question is, why is the book of the dead? Opened up. These are people that are could be dead for centuries, for millennia. Why are they being opened up? Why are they getting rejudged again? And the answer is, 
is because they're getting judged on their actions of their children. They're getting judged on their actions of who they had influences on. You had an influence on someone for good, you're going to get judged for that and you're going to get reward for that. You had an influence on someone for bad, you're going to get judged for that and you're going to get punished for that. So Shmuel was very nervous. He knew that he was, you know, judged already and he got his, and he got his judgment. And it was a good one. But now he's nervous. He says, maybe his children are not going in this path. And maybe now he's getting rejudged again. So that's why he was nervous on what his, maybe his children has, uh, um, you know, have done. Shmuel, to try to get a little bit of background on Shmuel and Abi, Shmuel's first prophecy, fresh to Nevoa, fresh to prophecy, his first prophecy wasn't a good one. It was on Elia Cohen. Elia Cohen, his son, his sons were corrupt, unfortunately. And in the base of Migdash, if someone came with a big bull, a nice juicy bull, they were brought in right into the beginning of the line. But if, let's say, someone came in with small birds, they were pushed at the end of the line. So they gave, you know, they, they, they didn't treat, you know, everything the way that it's, it's supposed to do. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God gave a prophecy to Shmuel, and this was his first prophecy, that because Eli didn't correct his children's behavior, his children's, his, his children for generations are going to die young. So Eli, you know, Eli knew that Shmuel and Avi had a prophecy. So Eli goes to Shmuel, what's your prophecy? But Shmuel and Avi didn't want to say the prophecy because it was a negative prophecy. He didn't want to say it. And he's pressing him. He didn't want to say it. He's pressing him. He didn't want to say it. He's pressing him. He didn't want to say it. So finally, Eli, Eli pressured him and said, if you don't tell me, then the prophecy that you prophesy is going to happen to your kids. And that's truly what happened. Shmuel Hanavi now wanted to reverse this corruption in the Beis Hamikdash, so he went the other way. He didn't take money from anyone. He didn't take a red cent from anyone. He went and he spread Torah through for you know for everyone. But however, the problem was his children didn't follow in his path. So Shmuel Hanavi was very nervous that now he's going to be called up, and now he's getting punished for this. But the reality is that he wasn't punished for it. Why? Because he did what he could. He did what he could. And if you do what you could, you're not held responsible. And this is why all of a sudden Shmuel calls Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akon. Why? Because Hashem told Moshe, Pucket of of Albanim. Hashem tells Moshe, I blame the parents for the children's mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu says, wait a minute, that's not fair. He says, you have many tzaddikim, you have many righteous people that have, unfortunately, not righteous children. So Hashem responds, no, what I, what I, what that means is, is that if a parent does everything that they could in their power, they're not responsible for the child. But if the parent does not do what's in their power, they are responsible for the child. Meaning that you have an obligation. And the obligation is you have to do what you need to do. Outside of that, what happens is you're not held responsible, but you have to do what you have to do. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu represents. So Shmuel Anavi is very nervous. He says, I know that I wasn't judged on the first judgment on this because, you know, like I did what I needed to do. But then he goes, says, but wait a minute, I need Moshe Rabbeinu because Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that had this conversation with HaKadosh Baruch with God. And he says, I need to make sure, look, I did what I can do. Please, Hashem, don't judge me for my children's mistake. So that's why he was so nervous, and that's why he called Moshe Rabbeinu. But we know that really he wasn't getting judged. But what was happening, Shalom Melach, was, the, the king Saul, was going and he was calling him up because he needed some sort of advice. During this Pasuk is where Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was crying, was, was very fearful. Now the question is, why? Why Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was crying at this particular Pasuk when he learned this Pasuk? And the answer is, 
that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was a Gilgal. He was a reincarnation of Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel Hanavi was Nifter. He passed away at the age of 52. When Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, he came back at Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah and he was 18 years old. And what did Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says? I am like 70 years old. Why? Because he rem- most people don't remember the previous life. But Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah did. And that's why he was crying during the scene because this is what, re- you know, it affected him. Shmuel Anavi died at 52. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was 18. 18 plus 52 is 70. He's not saying it, I feel old. You know, some people, they don't sleep well, you know, they don't have a good week. They have a, oh, I feel like I'm 70 years old. No, no, that's not what Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah is saying. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says, I feel like I'm 70 years old because I have the 52 years of Shmuel Anavi. And I have the 18 years of me, 18 plus 52, that's 70 years old. That's why I feel like I'm 70 years old. So this is what is what is Shmuel? Shmuel represents Shmuel and I represents what Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah represents. I don't care about what your kids turn out, but as long as you do what you can do, you educate them the right way. You do whatever you can do. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was the one who opened the doors of the Beis Hamedrash. He opened the doors of the yeshiva. Why? Because you need to do what you need to do. You don't know what's going to become of their kids. You don't know what's going to come. That's why you have to open the doors. You have to let everybody in because you don't know what some kid is going to hear and what's going to change their life. That is what Shmuel represented. And that is what Rabbi, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah represented. And that's why the Mishnah in Perkei Avos, the first Mishnah, what is what is the Baratanura said? As not la afuke to exclude Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel was not in the business of making many students. He says only what the inside is like the outside. But rather, says the Mishnah, no, not like that. Make many students. What are you going to make many? Like Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, that you have to leave the door open. Let's give a little bit of a summary so we understand what's going on here and how beautiful everything just plugged in. Rabbi Gamliel. His policy was: your inside has got to be like your outside. Rabbi Shem Bayechai says, no, 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 that's not going to work. He says, if your inside is like your outside, Torah is going to be forgotten. How many people are going to be able to come in and be able to learn that their inside are just like the outside? Most people are not like that. Rather, we have to let everybody in. That's why the, 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 if the Torah is going to be that way, we says Rabbi Gamil quotes. The, 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 Rabbi, I'm sorry, Rabbi Shem Bayechai quotes. We can't be like Rabbi Gamil because then the Torah is going to be forgotten. Rather, we have to do like the first Mishnah Pirkei Avos. We have to make many, many students. Go. That's Rabbi Gamil. Rabbi Gamil's policy. Rabbi Yeshua was a blacksmith. What do you mean that he was a blacksmith? He's coming in as a previous reincarnation of Rabbi, of Rabbi Yeshua Kain Gadol. Rabbi Yeshua Kain Gadol. Why was he? Why was? What was the whole thing about? that? Because he was singed in fire. Why was he singed in fire? Why was he punished? Because he didn't do what. What he could do for his kids. His kids, he didn't protest when his kids married. He was a Kohen. And his kids shouldn't have married certain people. And he didn't protest. So you didn't do what you can do. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. That's why he, Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua came back and he was put in this, in this situation. But it's interesting, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, his student was Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi, about Rabbi Yeshua, he says, Why? Because who is Rabbi Yeshua? Rabbi Yeshua is Yeshua Kohen Gadol and Haran. Why Haran? Because Haran was, his inside was not like his outside. And yet he turned out to be a leader of the Jewish nation. And that's why Rabbi Yeshua came over here. So we have Rabbi Gamliel. His, you know, that he says, if your inside is not like your outside, you're not like that. Rabbi Yeshua comes in specifically to show, no, look what happens if your inside is not like your outside, you still can become Rabbi Yeshua. Comes Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah and puts the whole 
whole thing together. And he says, no, wait a minute. This is, we have to let everybody in. Why? Because Rabbi Elizabeth ben Isaiah is a Gilgal of Shmuel Anavi. Shmuel Anavi did whatever he could for his kids. Once you do whatever you could for your kids, you're, you're that's it. You're, you're, you're absolved. You're not held liable. Over here. And Rabbi Elizabeth ben Zayi says we have to have an open door policy. And if we have an open door policy, that means that everybody's going to be able to learn. And if everybody's going to be able to learn, that means that you never know who is the one that's going to be a leader. You never know what's going to go. And that's why Shmuel and Rabbi Elizabeth ben Zayi said that we come to Hakel and we have the children. They give reward to who? They give reward to their parents. To the people that bring them. Why do they bring the reward to the being? Because you never know when you bring your child to learn and you teach your child something or you teach anyone, you never know what effect that's going to make. You never know. That the, and who says that? None other. Rabbi Elizabeth ben Isaiah, because it's Shmuel Anabi and that's what he represents. He did everything that he could have for his kids and he wasn't held liable over here. Look at how beautiful everything plugs in over here. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos starts off and, and, you know, and says the first Mishnah, it says that, that you have to make, you have to make many students, not like Rabbi Gamil, that his inside has to be like his outside, but rather Rabbi Elizabeth ben Isaiah, because you never know, you support Talmidim, you support, you know, Torah scholars, you never know who is going to be a leader. And I'll take it a step further. The peep, the kids, the people that you feel, are not going to accomplish anything in life are usually the ones that accomplish the most. And I could tell you, you know, looking now, going up to when I was in elementary or when I was in, in you know, in high school, you look at my uh, uh, my classmates, the, the people that you thought weren't going to end up in anything are ending up being the leaders. And how many times that happens? Because we never know who is going to come. And we never know who is the one that's going to res- be responsible for that leader. We never know who is the one that ha- went and supported that person. And that's why the Mishnah Pirkeles tells us, hey, Go first Mishnah. Make sure you make many students. So if you're a rabbi, make many students. If you're not a rabbi, support many students. You have to support them to the, to the point that they're able to, the hemidu means to stand. They're able to stand on their own. Meaning that they're able to continue learning on their own. They have this, you know, like, uh, um, I don't know how much I want to get into this, but like when you have people that are learning under certain requirements, when can a person really flourish when they're giving the flexibility to do your thing? When you do, when you have no requirements, you could do your thing. Like one of the, one of the, I, I believe where my personal experience, where I was able to do what I am doing, and hopefully I can just will give me the, the, the power and the ability to continue doing this and teaching and, and, and you know, spreading Torah is, to be able to stand on my own. I, I didn't have an obligation. Like like if someone came to me and said, you could come and speak at this organization, but you have to not speak about this topic. Generally, I would speak about what they told. Like, don't tell me what not to speak about. You know, I don't take money for these things. I don't, the, the, when, when you're standing on your own, you have the flexibility and ability to do as you Please. All right. And what, what should you do as you please? Only what Akadish Baruch wants. Now, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. Whatever. Okay. To each their own. You speak to your rabbi. But the Torah said, make them stand on their own. You, if you have a rabbi in your shul, you can't have a board 
telling the rabbi what to do. No, the rabbi has to stand on the own. The rabbi has to decide, this is right, this is wrong. The rabbi can't always be looking back to the board and be like, you happy with what I'm doing? No. You decide what's right and what's wrong. You don't like me? Find someone else. Find, you don't, and don't invite me back to speak anymore. Because I have to say what's right. You have to be able to stand on your feet. And that's why make them stand on their feet. They have to represent the Torah and they do not represent people. They represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They represent God. And if your rabbi tells you something you don't want to hear, chances are, guess what? That's a good rabbi. But if a rabbi tells you what you do want to hear, mm, I don't know. You know, dot, dot, dot. Let's leave it at that. But now, I know we're a little bit late. We're going to finish up over here. The Rabbi Gershon Adelson, who was Nifter not too long ago, was, you know, which I feel is a little bit associated with this topic. He had a few things that he was very, very, you know, held very strongly. Many things. But one of the things that is it's popular is that he said that the children, people that are learning, they need to enjoy the learning. They need to enjoy. So everybody has something else that they connect to. A different level, you know, people like different things. And I, you know, I could definitely see it based on what, not even the classes, based on the topic of what the class is on is how many people are going to be listening to it. Whether it's right or wrong, it's irrelevant for this, you know, for the, for, for this point that I'm bringing. But rather what you're supposed to be, you're supposed to learn things that are interesting to you. Because when you, the, the, even children, they're supposed to learn, they're supposed to enjoy learning. When you're learning Torah, you're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to connect to it. You're supposed to feel happy when you're doing it. You're, when you're learning Torah, you know how you had a good learning? When you're be like, what? The class is over already? Like, like, I finished learning this already. It's been an hour already. You're supposed to enjoy it. But I mean, means that you're supposed to keep them in, in, in a stand. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to make sure that they, they enjoy what they're doing. So if you're teaching, if you're learning, if you're studying, make sure that you're learning, you're, you're doing something that you enjoy. Now again, does that mean that if I don't enjoy learning about Hilcha Shabbos, I'm not going to learn about Hilcha No, you obviously have to learn about Hilcha Shabbos, but your focus is that every every so often go back to what you enjoy learning because that's going to give you that drive to you know, you know, to continue. I'll end off with one final thought. Um, you know, the the Mishnah, the first Mishnah Perkeavas. They say, have a misunim badin, you know, be deliberate in judgment, create many students, make offense to the Torah. The Ruach Chaim, the Reb Chaim Balashan, student of the Vilna Goen, puts it in order. He says, you know, you have to be very cautious in judgment. Because even if you have many students and you make offense in the Torah, do not just rely that everything is going to go smooth sailing for you. You could still make a you could still make a mistake. Meaning that no matter how much we go through in our life, we always have to be cautious in everything that we do. We have to be cautious in all our decisions. We have to be focused in on all our you know in all our decisions. And you know one of the things that I I have noticed is you know people in regards into learning. You know, certain topics, they don't find it so interesting. And they don't maybe learn, you know, so much about it. Torah is unlimited. And you can learn so much from so many different things. And it's a shame that people skip on certain topics and they never grow in their life. They never grow, you know, they, they never they never tap into it because they just don't, you know, they feel like, uh, you know, like, let me switch to the, cause, 
yeah, it, it doesn't talk to me. Let me just listen to something that, that is more, uh, uh, you know, up my alley. You know, reincarnation is like a trigger word. Oh, it's like, okay, this is like interesting. This is something I, but it's, it's really unfortunate. You should learn everything because there's so much that you could, that, that you could learn. There's a lot to speak about it, but you know, the path of where I'm going right now with my mindset, I don't know if it's appropriate for now. So we're going to stop it, uh, you know, at this, uh, you know, at this point and we will open up to any questions. First of all, before I even open up to questions, like if your mind was not blown, by the the whole scenario here, you have to review this a few times this this class because it's so unbelievable. It may be my fault for not giving it over clearly, but it's this concept of how you see the reincarnations and why Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah said one thing and why Shmuel Anavi said one thing. Like it brings something so, and you could see the full circle, the real circle of life. You could really see that and how it connects everything, and you could it could really uh, you know it touches you like like. Like, really like no other. Like, it connects really, really deep inside. So I hope I was able to bring that clearly. Okay. Let's open up to questions. Okay. Question number one. Can you do yoga poses that could look like bowing? Technically, yes. As long as it's not, because it's a stretch. You're not doing it for bowing. So there's a whole thing about if you should do yoga and if you should not do yoga. And if you're allowed to go... So again, uh, we're not going to get into that, but as long as it's not from a Avodazar standpoint, because it can be from a Avodazar standpoint, so you're kind of in the clear. But really, you have to be careful on that. So stay away from anything that's Avodazar, but if it's not Avodazar and it's just a stretch, then you could do it like that. As Also, you have to be careful that there's no Buddha over there if you're doing it in a studio. There's nothing like that because then it can be problematic. Okay, can you play non-acapella music for kids in preschool if you're the teacher? Um, in certain situations, uh, you know, yes, also depends on the music, depends on the teacher, depends on a few things, but, but there is room for leniency in certain situations. Ooh. Next question is, uh, is a little bit of a doozy one. Uh, by doozy, I mean a long one. Um, not the question, the answer. The question is, how do you find red flags in dating? So, uh, the, that, that's, I, th- I feel like there's there's so much to speak about this, red flags and dating, because it depends on so many factors. Uh, what I would probably recommend for that type of question is to speak to somebody about the dating. And then, because I, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people where they thought something was a red flag and it was really not. And they thought something else was not a red flag and it was really a red flag. So it's always a good idea to... Uh, um, you know, to speak to somebody and then you could, you know, somebody that knows, has a little bit, ex- doesn't have to be a rabbi even, just like somebody who has experience in life, you know, that gives a little bit of idea. Rabbi is a good representative, is good, mentor is good, but it has to be someone that knows a little bit about life. Uh, but again, you have to be careful because if somebody is, you know, has a history of, uh, let's say, you know, if somebody, let's say, was, a, let's say somebody, you speak to somebody who's divorced because their spouse had anger issues and you may bring up some situation where a person maybe had anger they'll be like red, red flag right away so not necessarily right because they were involved in that they see it that way so again speak to somebody who is wise uh, i guess would be the right thing to say next question is why was he married at 18 i'm assuming that this you're referring to rabbi Lezer ben Isaiah because he was 18 uh the 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 torah actually you know the gemara tells the chazal tell us at 18 you're supposed to get married why don't we do it nowadays per se is more because of the immaturity level that we have 
Next question. How was Haran able to be reincarnated into Rabbi Yeshua? Well, first he was reincarnated into Rabbi Yeshua, Kain Gadol, and then Rabbi Yeshua. Needless to say, he was a Kain Gadol if he was a non-Jew and had a non-Jewish neshama. Oh, good question. So, so um, the Arizal brings down that in our day and age, and he's about 500 years ago, said that there's no new souls, or very, very rare to have a new soul. Everybody comes back, uh, you know, before. So the question is, how could somebody come back from a non-Jew to a Jewish soul? Generally, that doesn't happen. So uh, the difference over here was, this was, and this is my, uh, you know, understanding of it. I may be wrong. I haven't seen this inside, but this is before the Torah was given. So before the Torah was given, you have people, uh, you know, that come back, you know, into the Jewish thing, and, and, uh, uh, I don't know how much I want to get into this, but uh, from the Erevrav to the um, to the people of that were that 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 were killed in the Tower of Bavel and the flood, they you know they came back. Many people I just realized will not know what I'm saying because it's, it's a little bit of cabalistic. But there was the, all these three were reincarnations, uh, you know, that came back, uh, you know, to fix it. So what this is again before the Torah came. Next question is what type. What type of certain people did his, uh, oh, did his children marry? The, oh, you're talking about Yeshua Kohen Gadol. So that's a good question. I would have to look more into it. It's something that was not appropriate for, uh, them to, uh, marry as a Kohanim. Okay. All right. All right. That looks like that was the last question. I just had a question regarding yeah. the um, whole thing with, um, the Gilgolim and like how, how Haran's able to like be reincarnated into Yeshua, like, yeah. So basically, the question is because I understand the whole thing with the wise of the generation of the flood, generation of dispersion and whatnot was able to be reincarnated in like the whole thing with the, the, the whole tikka with the babies throwing the Nile and be thrown into the, like the bricks or whatever because that, that whole, that whole timeline was before Matan Torah. My question is like, why is it that post Matan Torah that, um, that like, they Haran was able to be reincarnated because before Matan Torah, just like an, like they're like nation, like the, the 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 Hebrews, like you know, so like it wasn't like they were body soul, like it was after Matan Torah that they became like they got the extra shem or whatever. So like that's why my question is so so, so so your question is what is the difference between Matan Torah and not Matan Torah? Like I'm not for no, like my question is like still like how is it that like Haran was able to be reincarnated? Like the whole like for example, like before Matan Torah, if someone wanted to like enter Christ, so they just had to accept the laws of Hashem and like that's it. Like after Matan Torah, there's a whole like garrison that had to occur in addition to that. Right. So so to, to take a little bit of a step back, and this is a deep question, very capitalistic, so I'm gonna answer to the best of my ability. What, you have a lot of converts nowadays uh, throughout the history of uh, you know of of Klausel, There was a lot of converts. So one of the reasons behind those conver- the, the 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 conversions that they had this like you know people ever since they were younger they had this affinity towards you know Judaism or once they heard about it they had affinity towards it and they and they converted. Uh, one of the reasons that our Chazal bring down is that these souls were. In a previous, you know, like reincarnation, they wanted to accept the Torah, but they were they were born in a nation that didn't accept the Torah. So because they had that desire, to, they they were given the opportunity the next generation to go and convert to uh, you know to Judaism. Meaning that even ba- even during the time where we have converts now, 
Chazal tell us that one of the, one not not all I can't say all but definitely a you know a, a nice amount where you have people that the reason why they have this affinity towards conversion and they want to convert is because they always wanted to convert even when they couldn't have converted uh, you know during the time of uh, you know when the Torah was accepted or they could have and they just you know didn't get uh, around to it I, I don't want to get too much into details because we don't know the the uncertainties of these things so. When you have people come back as a reincarnation, generally you're right that people come back as a reincarnation with, uh, you know, from a certain, uh, lineage. It could be from, you know, from, from Jewish to not, to, you know, to Jewish and non-Jewish to non-Jewish or from male to male and female to female. But there are many scenarios where people come back in a different reincarnation. And, and an example is sometimes you have male souls come back in female bodies. Uh, um, we see that you know, I don't have to go into into details. Uh, you know, now day and age, but you, it's not always that scenario necessarily. But also, sometimes you have people that are, let's say, infertile, and it's not always, but it is a possibility that maybe they have a different soul. A male soul in a female body cannot, you know, have kids, and vice versa. So you have people that come back in different. So there is a a moving around, you know, that happens. The flexibility is much greater before the Torah came to after the Torah came. Does that mean that somebody, let's say, that was non-Jewish before has a non-Jewish neshama, can they come back as a Jewish neshama? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know if it can come back. I don't know. That That's, uh, you know, like, is it possible? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if I answered your question, made it harder, or just confused you more. Um... I don't know. Like, that I means that's a big question, but it just added more questions. Yeah, whenever we're dealing with the mystical, there's always an uncertainty because we can't. We have a general idea, but we don't have the specifics in it when you plug it in. So there's many, it gives you, so, so it's kind of a thing like when you look more into something, you get more clarity, clarity in it, but then you have a lot more questions in it that can come up, but you have a lot more clarity at the same point in time. So, so that's, you know, that would be normal because that's, you know, like, it's like if someone just like, says, oh, if you take Tylenol, it's going to um, take away your headache. And be like, okay, pill, take away your headache, fine, okay, fine. But then once you learn chemistry and you learn mi- biology and you learn microbiology, be like, you know, like you have a lot more questions that come up. But what about this? Why specifically acetaminophen? Why is it, uh, you know, a, a, a specifically this dosage that's, you know, there's a lot more questions that come up. Uh, and some of them you can get answers and sometimes, you know, you can't. Some some medications come up by accident. Uh, I'm not saying Tylenol was, but, you know, we have plenty that do, do come from that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, uh, sure. We have one last question, and then we'll close it off. Uh, okay. One. First. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Um, okay. This is a question. With all respect. Okay. Absolutely. This. Okay. I, I'm skipping a lot of things because it's just nice things uh, that uh, this question said to me. So there's no no reason to to announce it. But the question is all respect to the Rav because I believe there's no forbidden question in Yiddishkeit. Absolutely, there's nothing that's forbidden to in Yiddishkeit. You can ask anything. If a person is having depression or anxiety or PTSD, that's post traumatic stress disorder issues, to move on in life or just to do the normal daily things, what are your thoughts on microdosing? Psilocybin or MDMA? Okay, 
So I have to uh, be honest. I'm not familiar uh, with these uh, with these things. While I do deal a lot with people that are dealing with depression and anxiety, post traumatic stress disorder, not so much. Uh, but you know, I do deal with that. I'm not familiar um, with this uh, microdosing psilocybin. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with that. But. What I would tell you is that if it's something that the normal medicine is, it's appropriate for it, then you, you know, you definitely can, you know, can do it. If it's something that is, the, the question where it arises, if it's something more experimental or things like that. But if it's a normal traditional medicine, then the, my, my, thought process I leaves is to continue with it. But again, I know I'm not answering your question because I may not know a lot about about this. Um, but if you want to explain it to me and I can give you a little bit more, by all means, you can uh, reach out to me and uh, I'm going to type in my number over here so you can reach out to me um, and I can... Uh, um, you know, maybe get a little bit of understanding of that. Maybe I can't give you an answer. Maybe I can't. I don't know. But definitely we could speak about it more at length. If you do want to, again, you don't have to. You could text me and schedule a time to uh, speak. Again, uh, uh, not. I don't know why I'm saying again because we didn't say this is. But for anybody that wants to join our live, uh, right now it's Thursday, but we are moving it to Wednesday classes, Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Please reach out to me at RabbiZitron at TorahAnytime.com. And I can um, set you up with the WhatsApp group that we have all the information. Until next time, I wish you all have an amazing week. No, I wish, well, yes. I wish you all to have an amazing, amazing, successful year, life. And just like Merkadish Baruch just give you brachas ad bli dai. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.